Okay, welcome to the Betachen Share. I thought we were on class 17, but from the Spotify account, I know we're now on class 18, which is Chai, which means that this class is officially full of life, which is very apropos. That was an edit mistake, by the way. It was not 17 last week. <laughs> okay, so tonight's class is going to be finishing chapter 3, where last week we discussed how to choose an occupation. Um, some in attendance, and I'm not going to say their names, Ellie, thought that that was just a, uh, a cheap shot at saying do what you're good at or do what you're, you're uh, <coughs> attracted to. That, that, that probably sound advice. Sound advice, I'm sorry. I'm just poking fun. But tonight we're, gonna, we're going to continue until the end of the chapter is once you pick the job based on what you're attracted to, how are you supposed to treat said job? So really bringing this concept of ishtadlis and, energy and effort to a full circle. However, before we go further, I just want to give my usual disclaimer that I was actually thinking about today if I should continue to give the disclaimer or if the disclaimer is disclaimed enough already. I'd love to get some feedback, Zevi, if you want to give... It's not disclaimed enough? Okay, so what I'm about to say is my thoughts of my own. If I uh, misrepresent, miscommunicate, misquote, miss the whole point, I apologize. My intention is to work on my own betachen and to inspire others to do the same on theirs. And I'm just sharing with people that which I understand to be the way to look at things. And I could very well be wrong, very well be corrected. And if you have any feedback, please feel free to send it along. So that being said, let's start with uh, a letter of the Rebbe from the book In Good Hands as we start our weekly classes. This is a letter that is found, for those who have the book at home, on page 142. It was written in the year 1958, which again, different time to a community of people that the Holocaust was not something they heard about. It was something that they lived through one way or another either, God forbid, personally being there or family or just being in America, going through that process as a Jew. And I always find it amazing that to that crowd of people, the Rebbe would push the concept of betachen and many other things. But when I think of it in that context, when these individuals had no reason to trust or believe in anything, and the Rebbe constantly pointed them to this as a foothold, as a foundation to work on whatever their challenge may have been. So to me personally, it's just, I mean, I've gone through this book probably 20 times, and it's just, it never gets old, so to speak. Greetings and blessings. <clears throat> Your letter of Matzah Shabbos arrived after a long break. There you write about the state of affairs in your business, and you say that you are worried about what the annual balance will look like. There's certainly no need for me to expound at length on the subject of the attribute of betachen. To have betachen does not mean being content with studying about it in the holy books. It means trusting actually and practically. It means that when there arrives a moment that is not as one would have liked it to be, one should firmly trust that it is no more than a passing thing. As the Torah writes, For the Lord your God is putting you to the test. And when God sees that one has withstood this trial, one then sees even with fleshly eyes that it was all no more than a trial, a disguise without any substance. The Rebbe's signature. So this letter actually caught my attention last week, and I folded it thinking I would repeat it, and then I found another letter later in the day that reflected my 
particular situation where I was last week. And I think the theme for me personally, because like as I mentioned, as you guys all know, this is really more for me than it is for anybody else, is, you know, I learn betachen all the time. I've been doing it for years, and it's a, it's, it's a lifelong work. And it's, you're, you know, you'll get a, a, a left, a, a curveball that will come your way, and you find suddenly that you're, you know, where's, where's the application? Where's the practical application? And it's, it's just a, it's a constant. And, you know, when you read the letter and you listen to it and, and then you think about the time and just let's make believe a story about said individual, an adult, 1958. These people went through hell. They watched hell occur. And the Rebbe said, no, where's your betachen? Where's your trust? Where's your faith? Where's your, 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 your strong, you know, your, your belief in everything that we're about? So... This letter caught my attention again today as I unfolded it. Couldn't remember last, what I put it away last week for it. And it's kind of the theme that we'll go through tonight. <clears throat> so I, I heard a, uh, a, a, two beautiful stories, both from Eli Meilich Bitterman, who's my new, uh, I'm a new big fan. I've been a big fan of his for a long time, but his, his little WhatsApps, I talked about it last week, also are awesome. And there's two great stories that, that he uh, sent out this week that I wanted to repeat. So the first was, we're talking a lot about ishtadlus, about making an effort, making energy, getting a job, going to the doctor, trying to go on a date, whatever somebody's trying to work through, you got to do your part. But to remember that your part is almost irrelevant. It, it's not about your part that makes anything come, come together. It's about, that's what Hashem wants you to do, and He's got the rest. So he told a story this week about a guy that writes the story in the Sefer that he wrote. Uh, his name is Moshe Sternbach, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. So he says a story how he learned in the yeshiva, or, or somebody learned in the yeshiva, and someone else said it was really about him, in England. And they were going through a very difficult time in the school where there was really not enough money to even feed the Bachram in yeshiva. So the Rosh Yeshiva came over to this young Bachar at the time and told him, gave him some money out of his pocket and said, listen, I want you to travel to the city. I need you to fundraise. We're desperate. You've got a good head. You put, you know, you're put together. Go. So the guy goes on a mission, a young kid, 16, 17, however old he was, and he takes the train and he goes to the city and he knocks on the first door. The guy doesn't even want to you know, open. The second door, the guy says, we have enough problems in the city. We can't help the yeshiva bachim. Third guy says, what are you sitting in the yeshiva for? You guys should go get a job. You know, work like everybody else. Not interested. The fourth one, he said, had a sign that said, no schnars, no dogs. Basically, the guy had zero luck. And it was so bad that he went back to the yeshiva. He didn't even make enough money to repay the yeshiva's investment of trying to raise. And the kid felt horrible. He felt like a total failure. So he figured he snuck into the zal, and he sat down. And if you learn, take a gemara, you know, quietly he'll start learning, and maybe you know, it'll blow over. The rabbi of the Rosh yeshiva will forget. Anyways, the Rosh Hashiva sees him an hour later, calls him over, thank you so much, I can't stop thanking you. So he's like, he's, he's dumbstruck. He's like, what do you mean, what are you thanking me for? I, I, I failed. He's like, I, I don't even have the money you gave. He's like, no, 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 you understand. A couple of hours ago, a very wealthy uh, local stopped by and he wrote a check or he gave, a, I don't know what year it was, he gave 25,000 sterling pieces or whatever it was, which was a tremendous amount of money. So he says, to, to, so, so the, the kid's a little bit like bewildered, so he explains to him, 
if you think that your ishtadlis by you going to the city had any effect in what the result is, of course not. Hashem already determined Rosh Hashanah what type of income the yeshiva would earn. But we have to have an ishtadlis. It's our job to go out and to make an effort. So you went to London, you made the effort. That's all we needed to do for Hashem to make sure we were taken care of. So never think that the hishtadlus, the effort, is what brings the outcome, but it doesn't mean you don't have to make the effort. That's how Hashem created the world. So that's the first story, which we'll talk about specifically in Chayv Slavavis tonight. And the second story, which he says, is about Reb Mendel Futterfas, which, we've, which is which first of all, it's great to hear it in his, in his Heimish, Yiddish, I don't know what his background is, but to talk about Mendel Futterfas, it's just awesome. And he speaks about many, many different uh, um, different, you know, chassidus and what he's, I'm not sure where, what his chassidus is, where he personally comes from, but he's, he's very into to all of it. Anyway, so he says a story that Mendel Futafas was in Siberia, and he was sentenced to, to hard labor in Siberia, and it was a really, really difficult prison, obviously, and it was well guarded. This was not a place where you escaped, and they had these massive walls, and then there was these vicious, vicious dogs that would encircle the outside of the walls, that even if you found a way to get over the wall, like, you were not escaping Siberia. I think in camp we used to play that game. Was it called? That was a great game. Was it called Escape from Siberia? They don't play that anymore. <laughs> they? they do? It was such a solid game. Anyway, so outside of Gan Yisrael, you didn't really escape Siberia. Um, so they... Anyways, this guy comes over to Mendel Futafas one day, who was a prisoner there, and he says to him, I need a bracha to Mendel. So he says, for what? Because I'm escaping today. So Mendel's like, you're escaping? What are you, what are you talking about? He's like, I want a bracha. Give me a bracha. Should I should escape? So Mendel said, I'll give you a bracha, but you have to like, walk me through what you're talking about. So the guy brings him over to a section of the wall where the guards... There was four shifts a day that, that they used to have a, a shift, a shift change. And the, at these four times a day, there was a 30-second interval where there would be nobody by the wall. And what he did was is he showed Remendel by one of these intervals in the morning how over the years he would take a spoon or an instrument and he was slowly for 30 seconds, four times a day, carving a little, little hole. Kind of like connect the dots over the years. And how he made this massive circle in the wall by making these little connected dot holes over the course of years for 30 seconds, four times a day with some sort of instrument. And I guess there must have been some kind of flag on the wall or something that was covering this hole. So he explained to Mendel that I'm at the point now, I put the last connected dot last night, where all I got to do is knock it with my, my, my elbow and I'm out of there. And he shows him Mendel this, like, this circle of holes. Anyways, Mendel gives him a bracha, 7.30, whatever the time is, and Mendel wants to watch what goes on. The guard shift, the guy runs over the wall, boom, the whole thing falls out, crawls through it, crawls through it, suddenly you hear barking and barking because there's vicious dogs on the other side. Suddenly takes this, this Jew, pulls out two pieces of meat out of his pocket, throws one to this dog, one to that dog, they're eating steak, and he runs, and Itaka escapes. So the whole you know, guard, guard uh, patrol is going insane and the lieutenant or the captain or whatever is running the show comes out, takes out a revolver, he's screaming and he's cursing, he walks over to the dogs, poof, poof, he shoots them in the head. And Mendel's watching this and he's like, why would they shoot the dogs? 
He's got to ask this guy, but he's not stupid enough to ask him at this moment. The guy's enraged. It was just a prisoner escape. He waits. He waits. Comes to the, to, the, to the guard another time. He says, I have to ask you a question. These dogs, these are vicious, trained guard dogs in a maximum security prison in Siberia. They're trained to rip a human being apart. There's you know, tons of money and time and a program and they can't get to know people and you have to abuse them a little bit and feed them a certain way and to create this vicious dog. Why is it that when the prisoners escaped, the prisoner escaped, the first thing you did was shoot the dogs? Why don't you shoot the guards? These dogs, you've, like, you've invested so much into them. He looks at her mental and goes, what don't you understand? We've invested so much. For years, we're working on these dogs. We train them since they're puppies, and we feed them, and we do this to them, and we take them here, we take them there in, in crazy degrees, and cold and hot, and we feed uh, the whole program. What do we do that for? What's the purpose? So that when there's a prisoner escape, the dog should be trained to take action and avoid the prisoner from escaping. So the whole purpose of this Farkakta dog was to... Was to Stop this 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 uh, this prisoner. And what does the, the, the what do the Schmendricks do? They stop for a piece of stupid meat. So what are they worth? They're worth nothing. I shot them. They're they're dumb. They're done. They're nothing. They're no, no worth. So he says, and Mendel says, Rabbi Sai, God puts us on this earth. Everything has to go perfectly for us to show up on this earth. You know, the childbirth is 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 miraculous to say the least. Conception, childbirth, and then once you're born. You have to be taken care of, and you have to be healthy, and then you grow up, and God gives you a shidduch, and then God gives you a parnasa, and God gives you a life, and God gives you so much. For what reason? It's because God puts you in this world to create a place for Him. There's a purpose. We're all here for a purpose. And He invests a tremendous amount of energy, a tremendous amount of love, a tremendous amount of time. And then the moment comes. The moment comes, there's a test. There's a challenge. The whole reason we're here, it's right now. And what do we do? We get distracted by a piece of steak. We completely miss the point. And what are we worth? We're like the dogs, Lahavdo, you know, to separate the two points. So when I saw that story for me, and you know, I was having a day today, like, like, like people, myself included, often do, and I was just like, you know, I learn betachen, I give a class on betachen, but you know, when you're, when you're in the crap, Whatever the crap might be, and there's all different types of crap. There's self-created crap. There's you know there's pushed upon crap. There's made-believe crap. There's just I feel like crap. Whatever that story is, it's at that moment that all of this conversation and all of these ideas and all of this religion that we all subscribe to, that we grow our beards for and go to shul and we make sure our kids learn about Judaism. This is what it's about. It's at these moments, and it it it, it never ceases to amaze me how simple yet how complicated it is is how literally we're like designed to know how to react at the moments and yet when those moments come it's like the hardest thing not to like fall in love with a piece of steak versus trying to hold on to something that you've been working on for a long time no matter where you're holding if, if you're listening to this class or you're sitting here in person or you're with embodied within my body all of us are trying to work on our trust trying to work in our, our faith, trying to work in our connection. And yet when something comes our way that's an opportunity to really get there, it's like you got to hold on with your 
I mean, I, with, with your teeth. I mean, you got to literally, I mean, I'm, I'm just sharing with you my own personal experience that I, so I had to literally like, you know, and it's like, it's just, it's mind-blowing. You know, I've been trained, you know, for, for this, and it's like still a struggle. So I guess, yeah, okay. So that being that, I will say that, um, oh, we, we introduced last week one more thing, which is a Pusuk. We talked about how, um, how the morale of Prague, he was worried about Betachen back in the day, so he suggested that uh, everybody learn Pesukim about Betachen. So we're going to do one Pusuk from Tehillim that is about the, the concept of Betachen before we go in the book. And the Pusuk is, V'yismechu kol choysev vach la'olem yiranenu v'sasech alemu v'yaltsu v'cha o'yave shemecha. This is from Tehillim, from Kapitol Hay. This is Pasuk Yud Beis, Pasuk verse 12. But all who take refuge in you will rejoice. Forever they will sing joyously. You will shelter them, and those who love your name will exalt you. And down below the commentary, it says um, that Rashi says that all who take refuge in you will rejoice, that when you topple the wicked, all those who trust in you will be glad. Self-explanatory, really. Just another idea about uh, just putting your trust in Hashem. And this goes back way back, not just something that we're learning from a thousand years ago. So that being said, we're in Chayva Salvaves Shar Betachin. We're on page um, 103. We're going to close out chapter 3 tonight. Um, as I said earlier, we're continuing. Now that we've identified how to properly choose a job, we're going to discuss how to deal with said job. What's that? Let's go, Let's go right? How did we do that last week? They were like, it went flying up. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's what it was. Good point. Uh, all right. So as per usual, I'm not going to try to out-translate the translation. I will read right out of the book. You're welcome to do so. Uh, we'll, we'll read a few commentaries that caught my attention, but I definitely encourage you at home to learn it on your own. Middle of page 103. Attitude toward work. Until now, we discussed choosing an occupation. Now the author turns to discuss the attitude a person should have toward his work. When a person's mind and body are occupied with the means of obtaining his livelihood, as well as when he's pursuing those means, he should have in mind that he is doing so in order to fulfill the mitzvah of the Creator, who instructed man to engage himself in worldly means of obtaining a livelihood, such as the working of the land, plowing it, and sowing it. Top of 104. God has instructed us to engage in pursuing our livelihood, and a Pusik is now quoted to support this. As it's written in Beratius in Genesis, the Lord God took the man and he placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and guard it. So let's go back to page 103 for a second. So we've talked about this throughout the classes and conversation, is that at the end of the day, the reason why we take a job, the reason why we make an effort, is not because of anything other than the fact is that God commanded us to do it. And that is the outlook that we're required to, to, to take. Like the story that we started with, with the, 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 the student in, in England, where his action wasn't the reason why they succeeded, but he was required to take the action. And the way I've always understood it from the Rebbe's commentary, and we'll look at a commentary in the bottom in a second, is that just like any other mitzvah you perform, whatever it might be, there's a mitzvah of going out, and working the land and making an effort and, and getting a job, not because it's through that means 
which you'll succeed, but because that's what Hashem wants us to do. Hashem wants us to take a natural um, occupation and to deliver us a result potentially through there or through whatever channel He so desires. And that's the only reason why we take a job. So when you choose the job based on what your talents might be, or we talked about last week what you might be predisposed to, um, which might just be good career advice, at the same token, once you make that decision, the only reason you've made that decision, the only reason why you're doing it is because it was a command to do so. But you're supposed to approach it where it's not that thing in and of itself that is giving you any level of success. In fact, it, it may give you no success. It's merely the fact that you're required to do something, you're attracted to that, go do that. So bottom of 103, we'll look at a, a commentary, which I believe, I'll skip ahead for a second, but it, yeah, it's uh, from the Kutisichais. Right side, it's the commandment of the Creator who instructed man to engage himself in worldly means. There are people who approach the business world with cognitive dissonance. I love that word. I never remember what it means. Explain it. Yeah. So there are people who approach the business world with cognitive dissonance from their relationship with God. Okay, that makes perfect sense. They view the means by which they earn a, livi- a livelihood as the main source of their income, leaving God's blessings in the abstract background. And I will tell you that almost all Orthodox Jews that I've ever encountered have this belief system. Is they're very religious, very firm, but there's just this is like two separate things. Yeah, you know, they give so yeah, yeah, you gotta get stuck, yeah, 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 divine pride, yeah, 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 yeah. But don't be a putz. You know, you gotta you gotta be smart, you gotta make a thing, a finagle up and down, left and right. It, it, it's it's mind blowing. And even with the concept of betachen, I mean I get pushed back at this class all the time and I I push back myself. Like, yeah, yeah, but come on, stop. Like really, like let's look at it from a different perspective. And it's it really is I'm not looking at any one person. <laughs> this is a general, uh, a general concept, and it's it's mind blowing how you'll talk to the most. I spoke to an individual. I, I, it's too raw, too recent. I gotta figure out real quick how to change the details. Hold on. So, someone said something to the tune of, I'm "Too old." to mess around like I would have before because I'm too successful now. And it was such a like, it, it was so the opposite of, of, of the, what the person looked like and the lifestyle they're leading. And, and it was like, so you do or you don't? Like, what's the story? Like, it's so, you know, it's like the, uh, it's, it's, it's like the, uh, the perpetrator who tells the victim, you know, it's, it's good for you, <laughs> you know, like, it's so confusing. Like, it was like, you do, you don't. He does exist, he doesn't exist. If he does in the hospital when, God forbid, someone's not well, then, then why doesn't he in the business place? Like, like, what's, you know, we all suffer from it because, it's a, because this was one of the major tests, but it's, it's mind-blowing how, especially in Orthodox Judaism, with the biggest chassidim, this is like complete disconnect, I find, a lot. They view the means by which they earn a livelihood as the main source of their income, leaving God's blessings in the abstract background. Of course, this type of approach is inconsistent with the Torah's view that a person ought to engage in worldly affairs because God instructed him to work, and that ultimately God provides for him, albeit through his particular channel. As the Pasuk says in our favorite book, Deuteronomy, and God will bless you in all that you do. There are practical manifestations of the above-mentioned perspective. A person for whom the medium of his business 
or occupation is the key to his sustenance will always look for ways to quote develop end quote his business even if it comes at the expense of his relationship with God because he thinks that it's the growth of his business and his ingenuity that will make him more financially successful so if you believe that God is somewhat connected but not totally connected then that means that if he's not totally connected then where's your success come from from your ingenious playbook you're so smart, you're so talented, you've got all the right moves, therefore you're, uh, you're putting it together. However, a person who acknowledges that finances come from God will never choose a job or engage in business practices that may threaten the quality of his relationship with God. Because after all, it's God who sustains him. So if he knows that truth, there is no gray area, there is no, no God forbid, black area or red area, there's only do what you got to do and, and, and go from there. For example, a person who owns a store will have busier times and slower times. If he feels that his business is what sustains him, he will think that praying longer in shul gives him less time in his store to earn money. However, a person who trusts that God sustains him realizes that he might as well pray, because the time of prayer will only fill his downtime, when there are no customers in any case, and that God will send all of his customers in a flurry when his business is open. Which is a great point is that if God's going to take care of you and your business and it's only, a, it's only you making an effort, then there should be no issue going to shul and taking all the time you need because it just means that in the smaller amount of time that you're working while your store is open, God will see to it that your success will come in, in, those, in those times. There's a 9 o'clock mini in Parkland for that exact reason, exactly, <laughs> which I don't go to. So what does that tell you? Is that it's called the it, is it the? It is called the, the rich and something, no? The rich and restless? <laughs> The retired and the rich. <laughs> However, even within the appropriate Torah-based perspective, where the person entrusts God with his livelihood and engages in business because it is God's wish that he works to create a vessel, there are two different levels. One, although he recognizes that his livelihood comes from God and not merely from his business or job, he also places value in the material vessel, quote-unquote, through which the sustenance is delivered. His reasons is, well, since God wants me to make a vessel, there must be some value in this vessel that I engage in. So there are two levels in the guy who actually understands the concept of making a vessel or putting in effort. First guy says that if God says the vessel is required, then there's some level of import to this vessel. Number two, the second level, is he realizes that the material vessel has no purpose other than the fact that God wants it. Even while engaging in this particular channel, he is not attached to it whatsoever. Rather, he is doing it exclusively because it is God's will. So the difference between these two perspectives also manifests in a practical application. The former can still occasionally feel conflicted and wrestle with the challenge. Should I give more charity or invest the money in my business? Or is my prayer taking me away from my downtime alone? Or is it also taking me away from my customers? So he constantly has a, has a challenge, which is, how much spiritual to engage in versus how much of the vessel to engage in. Whereas the other individual who sees his business as nothing other than what God wants will never have a dilemma. He knows that God becomes, comes before any material decision because he knows that the material vessel plays no role in his livelihood. This person knows the vessel is immaterial to God granting him sustenance. This knowledge also generates different levels of trust in God. The person who sees his business and job as the entity through which his sustenance will come to him obviously also places his trust in God. 
However, since he places some value in his business, it's not a full reliance and trust in God. However, the person who sees it all as God and that even the vessel has no value has a trust that is absolute. And it quotes the Kuntra Samayan and Lakut Asichas, volume 18, page 295. Bottom line, do not abandon a career, but do not obsess with it either. I can't, I believe that Chaim is not here because Chaim Bar, because we must have had this conversation with him many times. This came up in many different people, but his, his question sticks out, which is, well, how much is, are you supposed to work in? And we've looked at many different ways to answer that question. Talked about washing dishes, your mind should be on, you know, your hands are busy with the job, but your mind is somewhere else. And it's, when you get that answer like on, a, like on a bumper sticker, it's hard to appreciate it. But when you kind of build into it, which what we've just done in the last 104 pages, to kind of get to this concept that you've got to get a job, you've got to find a job, it's got to be the job that speaks to you. But the whole point is, is that when you do that job, is just really to remember that you're just doing it because God wants you to do it. And that the job really has no material effect. It's, you know, there's a, my, my, my daughter colored me the picture, but it was from someone else who colored the picture. And I think I've mentioned it on the, on the, this, you know, in the class before. It's a guy fishing on a dock. And he's sweating and he's trying to catch a fish. And there's a bucket behind him. And there's a, the picture depicts a fish jumping into his bucket. You know, it's like that. You just never know what you're busy with, where it's going to come from. Shtadlis is, is the fishing. And then the bucket is laying there. And, and that's, where he, that's where he got his lunch. Yeah. That's where it, where it came from. But you can appreciate that the guy has to go fishing. He has to, go for, he has to, he has to feed himself. He's got to go, go pick up a fishing rod. He's got to learn the skill. He's, gotta, you know, sw- he's sweating at it. He's busy with it. But that's not ultimately where it comes from. And, and that's the higher level of betachen and the higher level of treating our job. So... It's not that the first level is an irrelevant level. It's, it's, it's a level that's already a level to be on. Many people, in cognitive dissonance, they don't even connect the two. There's God, there's business, two separate things. Then there's the concept of giving value to your job or your occupation or whatever you're busy with and saying, you know what, because Hashem wants me to go to the doctor, say, the doctor, you know, he's got power. The guy's got power. And you're giving now Energy, energy to, exactly, and, 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 and providence, which if you remember, guys, how we started the Chayvah Salvavis, he said in the very beginning that if you put your trust in somebody else, God will remove his providence from you. And it says, not that, it, the, the commentary explains, not God forbid that he'll remove divine providence from you, is that you'll feel like the divine providence is through that which you put, put the, uh, you know, that who you put your trust in. So if you think the doctor is, a, is, is, is very important because, after all, God sent you to him, then Hashem will make it feel like the doctor's holding the cards. And if he says X, it's going to be great. And if he says Y, God forbid, it'll be you know, the, the opposite. And the level that I personally want to get to is where I wake up in the morning, I can sit at my desk, I can go through my agenda, I can put my heart and soul into a phone call, not spiritually bypass and I'm on the phone going, uh-huh, uh-huh, it's irrelevant, this is God anyways, because that's not what God said. God didn't say, give lip service to a job. God said, take a job and go fishing. Do what you got to do. I'm in the real estate business. I got to run numbers. I got to pitch. I got to come up with a plan. I got a challenging day. But I want to be at a level where I know that my getting on the phone to work through the challenge or to pitch the deal or to try to buy an opportunity is not going to be what gives me my, my parnasa. That's not giving my parnasa. That's my job, is to have a job. 
My parnasa can literally come from nothing to do with this. I can get a phone call from my great great aunt who just left me a hundred million dollars. The point is, is that I, I want to be at a place where, where at the end of the day I close my agenda, I click my, my tasks off, and I also don't think that anything I did that day is relevant to my success. Whether every phone call was amazing or every phone call was total crap. If every email I got was, you're the smartest, you're the best, here's more and more and more and more, or you're the worst, you, you know, go teach in preschool or do something else, like, what are you doing, you're wasting your life. Well, if I can get to a level, which is that I know that God... You still know that God has your back. Well, it's not about God having my back. It's that like God is the source of it all. Correct. So I'm going to show up to my job like I'm going to show up to shul on Shabbos or show up to my wife and like my family. Like, that job, then. Like, I mean, part of performing at a high level is also... Putting but why are you performing at a high level? No, perform at a high level. That's, not the, that's what I'm saying. Perform at a high level... I just want to be at a place where I'm performing at a high level, not because I'm like, if I don't perform at a high level, I'm going to fail. No, no, I'm performing at a high level because God wants me to perform at a high level, irrelevant, and that's it. When I, when I close my, my book at the end of the day, I performed at a high level, I did, was great, I got great feedback, and that's irrelevant to my actual livelihood because God's providing for me, period. Now, take that day when you're performing at a high level and every email you get is bad. You know, and then you can say to yourself, on that day, you can close the book with the same attitude and say, I performed at a high level, and I know that Hashem is providing for me, not my abilities, not my performance. Because sometimes people perform at very high levels, and it just doesn't go their way, right. what they were hoping for. So it's not about not performing at a high level. It's about remembering, trying to get to a place where you know and remember where the ultimate good comes from. Okay, top of page 104. Um, so we just, we just quoted the, the verse in Genesis that the Lord God took the man and he placed him in the Garden of Eden and work to, to work and to guard it. So part of the punishment of, of Adam and Eve was, there was a number of punishments, but it was literally that man had to go work the land. As Michael Satvi says, Ishtadlis, putting in effort, getting a job is a dirty word. It was a, it was a punishment. There was nothing to be excited about. Going to work and working hard ain't, ain't nothing to be proud about. We could have sat in the Garden of Eden and ate apples all day. Similarly, God instructed a person to use the living creatures for his benefit and food. Ellie, the top of page 105 you're going to love. To build cities and to prepare food for him. He instructed man to marry a woman and cohabit with them for the purpose of bearing children. Not because of Feb, because it actually I've, I've been the recipient, and my wife has, of, of, of people that have, take a lot of um, offense to that comment. Because where does that put women in the whole thing? And there's, uh, it's... It's a valid point, and I believe that he talks about it on the bottom. I may be wrong, but um, obviously the intent is not to say that women have no place in this, uh, in this process at all. And also, the book was written a thousand years ago, so many women were not in the workforce. They were you know, generally at home and running family life, etc. So not that that... Forget. What was the intent? Back then? I don't think... Well, now you have women that are, are supporting their families, you know, have children and working jobs at the same token. So this is, uh, in that context, like, what, how can you say such a thing? But if you, I guess, back up for a second and think, well, in the year 1100, you know, the, women, the women's liberation, you know, movement was just starting. 
Um, so there was, wasn't common for a woman to be working and to be a part of that, that space. Ellie, am I right? You've got to judge it based on historical context. Thank you. I would say based on historical context, this was pretty advanced for her was, time. Her it was advanced for its time. Okay, look at that. <laughs> Continuing, 105. A person will be rewarded for these actions when his intention and his mind and his heart in doing them is for the sake of God. He will be rewarded, regardless of whether or not he achieves that which he desired. As it says in Tehillim, if, if you eat the toil of your hands, you are praiseworthy, and it's good for you. And as our rabbis of blessed memory said in Pirkei all your deeds should be for the sake of heaven. Top of page 106. When his intention is for the sake of heaven, his reliance on God will be wholesome, and his efforts in engaging with the various means of obtaining a parnasa will not in any way harm his trust in God. So he's continuing to basically equate the concept of getting a job to uh, pretty much pure existence. When Adam was, 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 uh, was commanded by Hashem to uh, go to the world and use it for his benefit and to build and to start lives and to sustain himself and to sustain his family, etc. And that's what a job is today. And that's what, what the whole thing is about. And when you move forward with it and you're doing it because Hashem is telling you to do it, even if you're not successful, you're still going to be rewarded because you're listening to what Hashem said. It, it, it's really like, it's, it's, it's like a mitzvah. Not like it is. It, it's, it's, it, it's, we don't look at it that way enough, but that's really what it is, going and working on a day-to-day basis is it's a beautiful mitzvah. Like any other mitzvah that you're going to perform. If you're doing it for the sake of Hashem, and you're doing it because He told you to do it, then that's what it is. So middle of 106, a person might think that since he's engaging in various means of obtaining a livelihood, it's considered as if he's relying on the success of his own work and not on God. However, in truth, as long as he has the right intentions when doing so, it does not in any way take away from his betachem. God actually wants him to work. As the Pasuk says in Deuteronomy, and the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. A person shouldn't think that his livelihood hinges upon the specific means that he chose for himself, and that were those means to be withheld from him, then his livelihood would not come through other means. Were a person to think this, it would be evident that he's relying on his own efforts and not on God. Instead, he should rely on God, that he will sustain him. Yes, sir. So why, why is career and profession, not always, but generally can be correlated with the amount of income? Certain job titles, you have an income range, right, depending on, let's say, region. Um, how, how, why would that be the case if someone was getting their sustenance from something else that wasn't dependent on this shtadlus? So, statistically, so statistically, so sti- although of course there are exceptions, there are definitely exceptions, and, and we, but by and large, right, people with a certain job will get a certain salary range, people with a different job, so I, I think that, especially non business owners. So, I think that by the by and large statistics that we don't have in front of us, but probably do speak exactly to what you're saying that the professions will earn more, and that those who go through college and go through schooling will, will, will lead a more, um, a larger. College, <laughs> no, I'm saying there's there's definitely a lot of 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 of, um, of outlier examples. But hold on a second. I, so I want to say two things. Is one, is I think it's part of the free choice process. Is that Hashem needs to give us the ability to say this or that. That's the, I mean, how many Jews are there, Ellie? 
Okay, we're very, very small. So we're very, it's 14 million, seven in America. We're a very small part of the entire human race, as we know. And as it relates to us as Jews and, 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 and locking into Betachin, I know what you're thinking already that, yeah, but Jews are all professionals, I mean, not all of them, but much, to a much larger proportion and we're much more successful. They're more, they're more educated. They have Abs- absolutely. more likely to be doctors, lawyers. Absolutely, but I'm not taking away from it. We have the free choice. How many... Jews are I'm there. Saying, according to this logic, if someone were to become a construction worker or a doctor, it shouldn't matter because they're putting their shtadlis in it, they're doing the work, and whatever God assigns is what they're going to get. That's not what happens. It's not reality. So I think that it, I, 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 I think I think statistically the concept is for free choice for the Jewish people because there are plenty of people that you can look to. And I'm talking about the 14 million now. I'm not talking about the the seven billion. The 14 million. Do these principles apply to everyone, by the way? Betachin is a, is a Jewish concept. Oh, so it doesn't apply to others? Yeah, this is about trust in Hashem, belief in Hashem. It's so a non-Jew can't gain the benefits of this, you're saying? Um, I, so it's the concept of non-Jews of, of trust and, and, and believe in... In God, a belief yeah. in God, yes. That's one of the, the seven Noahide laws. But, they use but, these tools and benefit from these concepts. And if you're saying not, then why not? Like, what? It's a very interesting question. You know what? I've never even asked myself or had that question asked to me. I don't know the answer to that question. I don't... Does this apply to 14 million or potentially billions? So I, I, I know that it was written... I, I know that the concept is for Torah, you know, for, for people that are that are learning Torah and that are observing or trying to observe Judaism. I don't, I don't know that. It's a very good question. I think the answer is no. I think that, that they can trust in God, but I think the concept of this betachen, although I might be ent- entirely wrong because the idea is that if, you're, you, if, a, if a non-Jew can reach a level of trusting, like the Rebbe said in last week's letter, like you know, I think it was last week's letter, rising above the ground a little bit, like we're, we're no matter what the reality statistics tell me, I trust in God. Maybe, the premise is God can Yeah, the th- then, then why, why wouldn't he repay them? Yeah, I, I can absolutely, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know for certain, but I would think that you're, I think it does apply, I just don't know. But what I was, point I was trying to make, and I, and I would love to, I'm gonna ask that question myself, it's, it's a great question is the point that I was going to make is, is that you can speak to many Jews also that had zero education, had zero anything. Uh, and you can say, well, they had gall, they had survivalists, they, you know, they came from... statistics. Right? So, so I think statistics is basically is, is, is free choice. Okay. Is that you can look here or go here. I mean, that's, that's what I would say, is that everything is... Statistically, God doesn't exist. And you would take a data set of those that, that had been tough. And then, and, then, and then figure that. But yeah, I mean, the general population. I mean, the reality is that you'll, if, you, if you try to prove God's existence through science or statistics, you'll, you'll, you'll prove that he doesn't exist. Well, actually, I mean, this isn't that God's existence. Exist. This, well, this is just, this is an assertion statistics. being made about career choices if, and about effort putting in and how Jews that's correlated with money. Equal? Saying it's not correlated. Are Jews and non-Jews equal? Like, are Jews better than non-Jews? I don't think it's a. I don't think it's. It's an. I don't think it's an equality thing. I think that that, that Jews are the chosen people in it that they are chosen to for a very specific task, that is actually a lot more complicated than a non-Jew's task. So, use the word chosen lightly. I mean, it's a good thing to be chosen, but it's it's hard work. It's you know it's it's a big responsibility to constantly try to look at physical happenings and trappings and find God in it constantly and then to bring God out in that space when a non-Jew is not 
given that responsibility. So are we equal? I think all men are, are created equal. Are Jews given a lot more responsibility because they're the chosen people? Yeah, they're not chosen because they're better. They're chosen because they've got a specific mission in this world. And I think that's a very difficult, it's a, it's a very challenging mission. And that's why we don't try to pos, what is it? Prostylize? Prostylize? proselytize non-Jews because their entire purpose is they're good. They don't have to become Jewish to be a good person. It's not, it's not, it's not a, anywhere is that a part of the, the whole Torah's perspective, anywhere. Whereas other religions are trying to get everyone to join their train because if it's either their way or the highway. Judaism doesn't say that. Judaism says that Jews are responsible to keep the Torah and to make, and according to Hasidus and Kabbalah, to make a dir b'tachtainim. Non-Jews don't have that job. They have to believe in God and follow you know, the seven Noahide laws, but there's no, they don't have that responsibility. So does it make it better? It makes it different. I've been at this for a long time, Mitchell. <laughs> okay. Uh, where are we? Middle of page... Um, is it 106? Yeah. So he should also recognize that from the perspective of the Creator, all the various means are equal, and he can sustain him with any of those means that he chooses, at any time that he chooses, and in any manner that he decides. So ba- basically the bottom line is, guys, whatever job you're going to take, construction worker to your point, or, um, or you know, banker, God can give the construction worker a bag of gold, he can give the banker a, a bag of, uh, of IPL. It, it, it's irrelevant. The, the Rebbe actually told uh, this. I heard this from. It was on a YouTube video. Um, so the Bavitcher guy, uh, guy is rabbi, big long black beard. What's his name? It's white now probably. He's a tall guy, rabbi. Uh. Know, he's, he's, he, he teaches my marm a lot. So with a P, Rabbi um, Paltiel. No. Rabbi Paltiel, yeah, that's his name. He says a story about how the Rebbe told a teacher, um, you know, was saying that their job is to be a teacher. So how are they supposed to make more money as being a teacher? Like what can they do to make millions? They're a school teacher in a yeshiva. You know what Rebbe told them? Just buy a lottery ticket. That's it. Just buy a lottery ticket. Because that's a way that a teacher can make, yeah, can make millions. Should buy, just buy one. You know, buy it every whatever. Isn't that interesting? I, I, I don't know. Do you know the teacher? It may have. You, I think it was a metaphor for invest. Yeah, he has a new, he has a new, uh, that teacher has a new uh, investment, uh, ethical uh, something, or I can't remember the name. But he opened up an investment house. As the Pusik says in Samuel, for the Lord, for with the Lord there is no limitation to save, whether there are many or a few. And as it says in good old Deuteronomy, for it is He who gives you strength to make wealth. And as it says in Zechariah, not by military force and not by physical strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So bottom line is, God doesn't need us to have a particular profession, a particular college degree, a particular anything in order to give us all that He wishes to give us. If He wants to give it to us, you're going to get it. So don't put too much effort into um, the, uh, the, the particular job to think that that's the answer or not the answer. And to close out chapter 3, which is a heck of a chapter, which, by the way, was almost... Um, it takes up a, it's 50 pages, over 50 pages. We'll summarize at the end of 107. There are five introductory concepts that a person must internalize in order to make his betachen complete. 
One, a person must understand that only God possesses the seven qualities that allow for trust, and therefore it follows that one should have betachin in God and in no one else. That's how we started the chapter. We looked at a human relationship, and we looked at the seven things you would want another human to have in order to really trust that he's got your back. Ultimately, we realize that there's nobody who has that. The only one who has those qualities are God. Number two, God knows even the innermost thoughts of a person, and therefore a person is not able to pay mere lip service to having betachin. So the second thing is, is that just talking about it and flaunting it and pretending you have it is not going to accomplish anything. We are talking about if, as Rabbi Sadfi says, in the name of Rabbi Block, capital I, capital F, if you have betachen, if you can reach the level of having real betachen, then you can accomplish these, these, these unbelievable uh, abilities. I add, and I add it based on Tanya, and it's, maybe it's not my adding, it's in the commentary throughout the chapter, that we all have these moments where we have that betachen. concept is, is we can do it more and more and more. You can be a bainini many times, whether it's for a second, 30 seconds, five minutes, a day, maybe two days, a week, whatever your particular you know, bainini uh, struggle is, it's doable. And the idea is, is to do more and more and more of it, and every time you fall down is to stand back up, stand back up, stand back up. Number three, the person should trust should be sorry. The person's trust should be solely in God and no one else in addition to God. So don't put it in God and your partner, in God and your consultant, in God and your business. It got to be, excuse me, in God and no one else. Four. Betachin ought to be combined with serving God. Is that the best way to have betachin is to also serve Him, not to be a wicked person. And I'll just reiterate my understanding of that concept. Every one of us, well, let me rephrase that. I struggle with many different things in Yiddishkeit and, and, and mitzvahs and everything else. And it's not, a wick, I'm not a wicked person. None of us are wicked people. Wicked people are wicked people. They are looking to hurt, looking to defy, looking to completely destroy and destruct. A person who has struggles is a person that Hashem put in this world with struggles. I have struggles. I imagine most of everyone around this fire has struggles. Maybe not. But that doesn't make a person wicked. So it, we ought to combine our betachen with service in Hashem, which is to be the best that we can be, do as many mitzvahs as we can do, and sor meirah, ve'ase taiv, etc. Number five is a person must also make efforts to obtain his needs. So of course, Eli, to, to your point, is that betachen, unless you're on that super duper high level of the guy who sold his wagon, you got to also get a job, you got to choose a job, you got to get a job. Michael, to your point, you've got you to work it. You got to do the best and put your, your you got to show up, to, you know, you got to show up to win it. Win it, to, to, whatever they say, win it, to kindle it, to end it, to, whatever, the, whatever it is. ABC, always be closing. But after you close, you know, you close the door of the, uh, of the office, you have to remember that, you know what? It doesn't matter. I did my part. I showed up with my abilities, etc. The end of the chapter elaborates on this fifth point, explaining the reasons why God set up the world in this way, as well as stating that a person should choose an occupation that fits his nature and that his attention while making these efforts should be for the sake of heaven. And that concludes, my friends, chapter 3. And next week, we will start chapter 4. God bless you all, and good luck, Kansas City.